All right. <laughs> okay. The grand experiment continues. Yes. Yes. Yes, of course. <laughs> um, so <laughs> we're going to do it again like uh, like we did last time, right? We're going to open the yep. show. Um, okay, let's, let's, uh, let's start with the, let's start at the beginning. Uh, I'm Pablo Morale Martinez. And I'm Ernesto Mancibo. And together we are Robots versus Taxes on... On Radio Free Brooklyn. <laughs> still, still working out all the kinks for that one. <laughs> okay. Um... Yeah. Recording from opposite sides of Brooklyn. So, you know, we're still we're still gaining our rhythm, but uh, we seem to be building up some sort of momentum. So thank you guys for hanging in with us. Yes. Thank you very much for hanging in with our show. Uh, We're like a lot of shows. uh, We are practicing social distancing. That's right, because, you know, uh, <laughs> in case you've been under a rock for the last uh, several months, the world is in the grips of a pandemic like we have never seen. Um, and this country, look, I'm, I'm not going to mince any words. This country has been somewhat comical in regards to setting up protocols on how to uh, approach this, even though the prior administration had already set up a sort of skeleton of protocols to follow um, that would have put us in a better position. But look, you know, no matter where you fall on the political spectrum, you have to admit that the current administration simply did not act fast enough. So uh, here we are. We're sort of guessing from week to week what the um, what the casualties are going to be. Uh, just this past week, uh, Dr. Fauci uh, revised the numbers from uh, in between 100 to 200,000 deaths down to about 60,000. Now, that's considering if the current trends of social distancing uh, still hold. But um, look, I, I can't rule out uh, the Cheeto in chief uh, throwing a monkey wrench into that. Uh, he was... Up until maybe the end of last week, he was pretty gung-ho in regards to getting everybody out for Easter uh, (laughs) to sort of symbolize this roaring comeback of the the country. And then somebody must have told him, uh, Mr. President, we are reaching hundreds of deaths every day just from this, just from what's being reported alone in hospitals. This is not even counting people who are dying at home. So that number is going to revi- is going to be revised sometime in the future. And he can't do what he tried to do with Puerto Rico, where there was one estimate, which was in the very low numbers. And then Puerto Rico is like, uh-uh, we're counting the people who were no longer able to get access to medical care, to basic things like water and food. Those those deaths count as well from this um natural disaster, the uh, the hurricanes that hit the island, um, which brought the number way higher. And I feel like that's what's going to happen here as well. Well, I mean, um, yeah, he can't throw a uh, paper towel at this issue. Uh, no, he, no, he can't. No. Um, but I mean, like, you know, the situation 
is dour, but uh, it looks like the numbers uh, are starting to decrease in New York uh, with regards to deaths and the number of infected. I mean, it's not decreasing at a like a, at a level where we can all go outside and be like, "Woo, I'm glad that's over," because that's that's still uh, a ways away. Um, yep. But uh, yep. yeah, I mean. Um, yeah, let's let's try to see if we can uh, assuage the dour tone because it's so um, it's so overwhelming at this point. Yeah, uh, we're still we're all still struggling. We're all still kind of you know social distancing and separated and calling uh, people via Zoom or WhatsApp or whatever uh, or FaceTime uh, with loved ones. <laughs> um, it's just uh, a lot of tragedy all around, and and uh, I think uh, that's why we've swi- switched up the format of our show. We are uh, no longer as much nerds skewering politics. We are now switching over to uh, more robots, more dissecting pop culture, uh, and this and this week we have uh, we have a treat, you know. Uh, well, it was a treat for for one of us. Uh, we watched Doctor Strangelove, <laughs> a movie which uh, my co-host Ernesto Mancibo has never seen, and uh, we're going to talk about it. Now, of course, like anybody else, I've uh, seen references to, to it in tons and tons of pop culture. Simpsons. Uh, of course, primarily in The Simpsons. Um, but never really made the full connection because I hadn't sat down and watched the entire movie. Um, and at Pablo's request, he always makes good requests in regards to these uh, pop culture gems. I finally sat down and watched it. And I got to say, it's kind of a work of genius, especially considering the time it came out. And it um, it was released in 1964. And, you know, it made references to uh, fairly recent history, like uh, in particular World War II and the ensuing Cold War afterward and the prevailing attitude, and then added a kind of dark humor twist to it, which was which was really interesting because at first it's almost formatted like um, like it's a period piece. Uh, <laughs> That's going to highlight the the tensions between America and the USSR, and then they just get weird with it. <laughs> um. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, it was uh, yeah, it was based off a novel called Failsafe, uh, ah. and uh, that and it was that movie that was also made into a movie called Failsafe, which is the straightforward version of Doctor Strange Love. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, Stanley Kubrick, I don't know what he saw in the material, but he was just like, you know what? Comedy. Perfect. End of the world <laughs> comedy. And uh, it, I have to say, I think it's one of the funniest movies. It's one of the funniest comedies I've seen. And I'm kind of like, I, w- I was astounded by its by its tone and its humor, um, given the time period that existed. Because, like... I don't know. I see black and white films. I'm like, okay, I know what I'm in for, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, I'm I'm in for like lush black and white cinematography. I'm in for like, you know, uh I'm 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 I use I associate black and white films with movies like The Third Man or the or uh uh um Bicycle Thieves stuff like that. And then this movie, it's kind of like all the characters seem very cartoonish, you know? Yes. Yes. Uh which is really weird because uh, for a lot of, for a lot of them they don't start out that way they they're almost serious and then they just gradually get more animated throughout the film um like it took me a second to realize actually more than a second that peter sellers actually played three characters yeah. in this film <laughs> he, he played uh, group captain lionel mandrake he played president merkin muffley <laughs> And as well as Dr. Strangelove. And I was just like, whoa, the the performance that he put in for each character um, was so distinct and um, and fleshed out in and of themselves that I totally didn't associate them with each other. It was it was uh, it was really interesting to find that out afterward. Yeah, because they're all completely different, right? Um... Completely, completely different. I mean. I think he even managed to make them sound well. Definitely made them sound different. Um, Group captain uh, Lionel Mandrake uh, was a uh, sort of amplified British <laughs> military. He's very guy. Yeah, he's very like uh, regal to me. He's very like polite and like. Um, Kind of like has this uh, British finish finishing school kind of uh, you know fancy boy kind of thing you know mm-hmm. going where he's just like uh, uh, everything he says is just like uh, uh, he's he's perturbed but in the politest way like he's mm-hmm. he's severely disturbed by what's that guy General Ra- Jack Ripper. The one who mm-hmm. who was like the fluids, the fluids, right? Yeah. Um, oh my god. <laughs> that our when, precious when fluids. he started going on about you know uh, the bodily fluids, it was just like oh shit. Okay, he's completely nuts. <laughs> and um, I noticed that when uh, Lionel Mandrake walked into his office, that he had locked the door behind him. I was just like, I mean, it was very subtle, but it was there. I was just like, he's locking the door for a reason. Um, and when uh, Mandrake tried to leave and he realized he was locked in, I was just like, this has gone completely sideways for this character. Um, it was, it was just interesting to see that development and still have it, uh, well, I mean, there's no other way but to give it a comic twist, like the total breakdown in the chain of command, but in a funny way. (laughs) Right. It, it it to me it showed like the 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 incompetence of. I think it, it's one of the first movies that I ever saw that that made that instilled the seed in my head that I was just like, oh, the people at the top, they don't really know what they're doing, you know, um, mm-hmm. because uh, the president Merkin Muffley, by the way, my <laughs> one of my favorite names ever, uh, with regards to a character. <laughs> Um, I'm I'm partial to uh, uh, to Colonel Baguano. <laughs> oh, Baguano! He doesn't he come? He comes in at the end, right? 
Yep, he's the one who frees Mandrake from the office. Yeah, and, that's right. Uh, <laughs> their exchange was pretty comical uh, uh, as well, especially when um, uh, Mandrake was telling him to shoot out the Coke machine. <laughs> and he was just like, I just want to let you know, after all this is said and done, you're going to have to answer to the Coke company. I'm just like, oh, shit. <laughs> really? That's what you're thinking of right now? Okay. <laughs> Oh, man. Mandrake never got a hold of the president after that, huh? Um, I don't. Did he? Did no, he I don't think through? I don't think so. I, I feel like they did a cutaway that insinuated that he did because uh, because Guano was able to get change out of the Coke machine after he shot it up and got a face full of Coke. Yeah, and, that was uh, great. I feel I feel like that was the. I don't know. I, I feel like there was something about the narrative there that said, okay, he managed to get through and let and let uh, the president know. But I could have missed something, so maybe he didn't get through. It was it all. It all just got so ridiculous at a certain point. It's just like, okay, how are these how are these people going to keep from blowing up the planet? <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, I was the whole the whole. I think the first time I ever saw this movie. Um, there was a. Uh, it, it's it, it's definitely one of the few movies that kind of like. I I I can't remember the last time I've laughed at a movie and also have been tense about the outcome, because the whole time I I, rem- I remember back in the day watching this for the first time I was just like oh god I hope they stop the bomb you know, <laughs> um. Because I I really didn't want <laughs> I didn't I didn't think Stanley Kubrick would end the movie um, spoilers with the end of the world you know uh, that was that was a last minute uh, addition actually really the um, the riding the bomb down into into the ground uh, that was like an eleventh hour addition and he had asked his um, his set designer prop master. It was just like, can we do something where the uh, the Bombay doors open up and he rides the bomb down? <laughs> and the guy was just like, when do you need it? He was like, in 48 hours. And he was just like, there's no way. It's impossible to do that because um, they had built a giant set piece uh, for uh, the scenes that they shot on the plane, on the uh, on the bomber plane. So what they did instead was they took a picture of the area underneath the bomb and uh, they, they cut out the section where the Bombay doors uh, would have been. And then did like one of the, some sort of technique where it just, they just slid two black um, sheets or something to mimic the opening of Bombay doors. And then just, uh, I guess edited in additional um, film to show that, you know, they were, in the air uh that way they don't have to do a whole bunch of like construction or anything it was only it was mainly done in editing um that's that's so uh, great that's so great wasn't that wild like it's like that was that was last minute that's amazing because i i would have never have seen wow you read up more about this movie than i would have like that I, I totally because I was I was genuinely unprepared. I just wanted to like talk about like the surface elements, and now you're getting into like the specs of it. That's awesome. Um, but yeah, I uh, was I'm I I, I I gotta say I'm surprised at that, 
And I think that that's a work of technical genius because that scene is it it goes by so quickly that any any of that would have completely slipped by me. So. <laughs> Um, because because that scene is so amazing. It's just so. <laughs> it's just so like uh, uh, like Slim Pickens' performance is one of the I, I in the in Doctor Strange Love is one of the best performances, uh, and that's that's saying something because I think everybody takes the scenery and chews the shit out of it, right? Um, <laughs> Because his 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 uh, his Western drawl uh, is so perfect. Remember when he's when he's in the beginning of the movie, when uh, when they get the when they get Code R, attack mission Code R, and then they're just like, oh, okay, now we have to we have to prepare for this bombing. We have to prepare for dropping a nuke. Let's get out the these kits, and the kits have like a gin a little Bible. That also has <laughs> like translating in Russian, like it's got it's got like a little Russian translation book. It's got <laughs> chewing gum, tobacco, gold, and it's got condoms in it. And then he goes, <laughs> Slim Pickens goes like, a man would would do pretty well going down to going to town or some shit. A yeah, he was could- just like, this sounds like a great night in Vegas or something like that. You know, it's just he was. <laughs> He's he was like a proto Yosemite Sam in, in in a certain respect. Like he was so larger than life and colorful. Like you just knew. I mean, when he designed that character, you knew that he was getting a good portion of lines because he was going to be on screen and he had to sell it. You know, the big bad American, you know, captain. Yeah, yeah so. General Kong, General King Kong. Wait, no, uh, I, I forget. I think his name is Lieutenant King Kong. Major King Kong. Major King Kong. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> I have a tough time with uh, army army rankings. Yeah, no, I just I just have uh, I just have the listing in front of me. That's why I have no okay. idea how rankings actually work. I know people start out maybe as a after you start out as enlisted, you go to you become a private. Maybe I don't yeah, know. Pri- I don't yeah. know when you become lieutenant or. Uh, Whatever, whatever, whatever. Anyway, um, <laughs> but uh, can I just ask? Did his parents actually name him Slim Pickens? No, that's definitely. That, <laughs> I think that's a stage name. Um, ah, okay. That's definitely. That's got to be a stage name. I mean, Slim Pickens. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, I, that actually sounds like a character in the film. Yes, like, it does. <laughs> um. Speaking of other characters in the film, what did you think of General uh, or of was it General Ripper or Colonel Ripper? Uh, the guy um, played by George C. Scott, you know. Uh, oh, the guy who was uh, kept trying to uh, press oh. the pr- president to uh, to take advantage of the commies or whatever. Yeah, I'm sorry, it, it, that's not Ripper. That's um, that's Turgidson, right? Turgidson, right, yes. exactly. Okay, yeah, yeah. that guy, that guy. Did you yeah, want to yeah. talk about Ripper or Turgidson? No, I wanted to talk about Turgidson first, then we go into Ripper. Turgidson was an absolute psycho. And you could tell <laughs> you could tell before he would he even got on camera when we cut to the scene where he's hanging out with his mistress and 
she's on the phone with milit with military brass and he keeps telling her to tell them like i'm busy i'm on the toilet and 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 it's just like okay no military man would ever who takes his job seriously would ever do that no um so instantly they set it up that okay this guy is a wacko he he doesn't really have a firm grip on reality then when we actually see him uh interacting with uh, the president and the other joint chiefs and by the way i have to say that is probably the most impressive um war room set that i've ever seen of any era right like you really got a sense that they were hidden away deep down in some bunker and this is where all the business was going down that round table those that circular light i was just like wow this really this feels real like yes. this is this is well done so uh little little uh you know uh, little factoid or wannabe factoid i want to say about that um and i i don't know if this is true this is just what i i think i read somewhere that uh that the war room like that didn't exist in Washington, D.C., didn't exist in the government uh, until they until Dr. Strangelove came around and like, you know, people in Washington saw that and they were just like, you know, we should have a war room. That's um, um, that's frightening. <laughs> yeah, I that's know. frightening. <laughs> So, um, so, uh, uh, war room, the war room was, uh, was something that, uh, it's, uh, it's life imitating art, you know, uh, or, or, uh, yeah, or art influencing life rather, mm-hmm. uh, where, you know, Dr. Strangelove, uh, basically painted this picture of what a war room would, would, would look like, because I don't, that, that's something that I feel like came about through through the movie and mm-hmm. uh it influenced uh american politics in such a way that they've adopted it oh my god <laughs> it it really kind of makes you wonder like all the stuff that's shown in modern war quote unquote war movies if somebody at the pentagon's like hey that's a good idea yeah that's great oh. i like that Johnson, write that down. Oh, We're going to have a war room. Um, also, uh, with regards to Gen- with uh, General Turgidson, right? He, mm-hmm. uh, the actor George C. Scott, this is another wannabe factoid. The actor George C. Scott didn't want to play that the character of Turgidson that big. <laughs> uh, uh, he was like, uh, I want to play it straight. And uh, that was a big point of contention between him and and Stanley Kubrick. Uh, mm-hmm. Forgot to mention, of course, this is a Stanley Kubrick joint. Uh, <laughs> so um, he, uh, so um, you know, George C. Scott wanted to play it straight, and uh, Stanley Kubrick was like, "No, no, no! It has to be cartoonish. Like it has to be big. It has to be big." And then George C. Scott was like, "No, I don't want to play it big. I want to play it straight." Like, I want to give a commanding, like, a respectable performance. And and Stanley Kubrick was like, how about you start big? How about you start cartoonish and work your way down? 
And he, George C. Scott was like, sure, yeah, you know what? That's a good idea. And Stanley Kubrick only used the takes where he, was, he went big. <laughs> and the rumor, the rumor goes that George C. Scott, when he actually saw the movie, he was furious with Stanley Kubrick for, for doing that, for, for fooling him, basically. I wouldn't be I wouldn't be surprised because it sounds like uh, from what I've read of George C. Scott's career prior to this uh, movie, um, he's you know he's a he's quite the trained and serious actor. Um, I believe that Kubrick saw him in some sort of uh, Central Park performance of uh, some Shakespearean play, and you know and wanted him for this role. Uh, but he also heard about George C. Scott's reputation as an actor and being somewhat, you know, stubborn um, in certain ways. So one of the things I read about that uh, Kubrick did, he set up a chessboard on set because George C. Scott fancied himself a, um, a high-level chess player. Uh, the thing is, though, Kubrick was also like a master chess player as well. So they would play chess on the set. And the thing is, Kubrick always beat him. Um, and from what I understand, in, in chess playing culture, if you consider yourself like a high-level player and somebody beats you, there's a great deal of respect that you, um, that you lend to the person who beats you. Uh, because it's, um, you know... Chess players at, at certain levels, they'll take uh, they'll take a long time between moves, just p- going you know several steps in the future, setting up their strategy. And if somebody beats you, you know, when you're playing at that level, you know it's saying that you're you're playing against another mind that is uh, as, that's formidable. Let's put it that way. So the rumor is is that uh, because of that, that was one of the factors that lended to. Um, George Scott agreeing to play the character in several different ways as opposed to just saying, no, 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 I'm just going to play it this one way uh, because he, I guess, developed a certain amount of respect for Kubrick. Obviously, that must have been washed away when he saw the the final yeah. edit of the film. But, uh, you know, the, the, the things that some people have to do to get actors to uh, to do what you're asking them to do. yeah. Do you have a Do you have a favorite line from the movie? Um, because uh, all of my favorite lines seem to come from George C. Scott. Uh, because he he goes he to his when he's taking that phone call from his wife or, or his mistress in the in, in the war room uh, or his or his girlfriend. I don't know. They never established what like mistress. Or, yeah, mistress. mistress. Okay. Uh, when he goes like, uh, uh, come on, he goes, he pleads, he's pleading with her. He's like, come on, baby. You know, don't be like that. You know, the, you know, <laughs> baby's going to come home. He's going to make you Mrs. Uh, Mrs. Uh, uh, Kilgore Turgensim or whatever. And then I was like, uh, like, oh my God, this dude is fucking crazy. Like he's in a, he's in a room with the president of the United States and he's like, baby, baby, please, baby, please, baby, please. Come on. Don't be that way. You know, uh, it killed me, man. It killed oh, me. Oh man. Just shows how completely unprofessional he is. Um, uh, I think one of my favorite lines was 
from Dr. Strangelove himself when they were talking about Russia's, uh, the USSR's purported doomsday weapon. And when he was talking to, it was uh, the Russian ambassador, Alexei de, Alexei de Sadesky, um, and he said, but what good is a doomsday weapon if you don't tell anyone? And <laughs> it was because he, he had gone through this whole rant beforehand in regards to how it would work, how it's foolproof, how it can't be, you know, you know, it's sort of like uh, it's within technological reach. So it's it's very possible that, you know, uh, the USSR built one. And they said, but, you know, what good is it if you didn't tell anyone? It was just it kind of. I don't know. It made him like ultra focused at that point. Like this is, <laughs> this is the character that that we're dealing with. He's a genius, and he's absolutely crazy. Yes, completely. I also really love the 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 back and forth between the president and the the Russian ambassador uh, about uh, the, about the doomsday weapon. And he was like, well, I was planning to tell you. I was planning to tell you over Christmas dinner or some shit. And I was like. (laughs) And I also got to give it up to to Peter Sellers uh, for his over the phone uh, conversations with the Russian president. Oh, man. I was was completely sold that there was somebody on the other line. (laughs) Yeah, I thought that was like, dude, that to me, that's one of the funniest back and forths. Like, it's one of the funniest on the phone performances like I've ever I've ever seen. It's just like his his like uh, his tone is so so like apologetic. Like he's so like he's so unprepared for for any of this. Like he he seems so like oh my god what just landed in my lap so he's trying to he's trying to tell the Russian the Russian premier basically this information about like you know whoops well you know a general kind of went funny in the head you know <laughs> funny and uh, you know uh, it, it sounds like he's trying to break up with like a high school girlfriend. <laughs> Did you get that impression or was that just me? Absolutely. Absolutely. He he was, I mean, at a certain point they were just arguing about arguing. He was just like, look, there's no reason to get upset. Um, It's just like we're talking about, you know, thermonuclear war. And uh, one of the things he said in regards to um, uh, what's his name? A general uh, brigadier general Ripper. He was just like, oh, you know, one of our generals did something silly, and yeah. uh, <laughs> now we have to uh, now we have to figure it out. So it, it was just the way they played everything. It's like you knew you knew they were being silly, but they they presented it in such a way that it didn't take you out of the enormity of the situation in some way, which was incredible. You know, yeah. usually if. Uh, if uh, a situation like this is going to be treated in a slapstick sort of way, um, the the overarching situation fades to the background, but it was still kind of present, you know, because you had all the all the maps. It kept cutting back to the to the plane with the nukes and stuff like that. So it was just like, no, 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 this is still a, a huge world ending situation, but it's funny. <laughs> the big board, right? The big board. <laughs> the big board. Exactly. <laughs> 
just love when when Turgidson is like, you can't invite the 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 you know the ambassador of Russia, like this of the Soviet Union down here. He'll he'll see everything. He'll see the big board. You know, um, <laughs> uh, I, I I just thought, think that George C. Scott is so gold in the, so so gold in this movie. Uh, but yeah. Uh, yeah, that that whole exchange between the president and um, the Russian premier, when he's like, uh, you know, let's not fight, let let's, you know, <laughs> I, I'm fine, you're fine, we're all fine, we you know, we just have this little thing that we kind of have to. Oh man, right? Oh 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 man, there was. Um... I think one of the things that made me laugh from the absolute beginning, um, before the film even starts, uh, there's a a scrolling message that says, you know, none of this is real. The Air Force says that there's no way this can happen because of the protocols they have in place uh, and the situation or people doesn't resemble anything uh, living or dead. And I thought to myself, holy shit, the fact that we had to tell the American public at that time not to take this seriously is uh, it, it makes you pause for a second, but it, then you also remember that during the original broadcast of War of the Worlds over the radio, people actually thought that shit was real. People were actually panicking at the original broadcast of War of the Worlds because they thought that we were being invaded by Martians. Look, we've come a long way from that uh, <laughs> because uh, obviously, you know, the Corona Beer Company is thriving right now. It's huge, bigger than ever. You know, it's not like it shuttered its doors because people think they're drinking liquid COVID nineteen, right? Um, we've come a long way. We're we're, we're smarter, uh, more resilient people. <laughs> right. Exactly. It's not like nobody uh, anywhere would think that. Uh, the rolling out of uh, 5G cell phone services somehow connected to COVID-19. Nobody would ever think that. Dude, when, when Sabrina... I'm sure when nobody S- overseas would be setting fire to those cell towers because they think that's the cause of all this. That would never happen. Dude, Sab- when Sabrina told me that news, I have to tell you, uh, when when Sabrina told me the news that people were burning down cell towers because they thought 5G <laughs> was spreading coronavirus... I my mouth was like at first I couldn't like my mind was blown as to how like my the 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 mind blowing idiocy fucking kills me. Um, <laughs> but I mean you know, in watching in 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 you know in in watching and referencing and talking about Doctor Strange Love now, it fits. I feel like we're living in that universe, <laughs> you know. Um, with just oh. the reaction to Art uh, imitates life, yeah, basically, the reaction to uh, to light to a life threatening uh, event. So, oh my god! <laughs> but uh, on a on a uh, on a scale of um, one to five stars for Doctor Strangelove, or uh, it's it's sub title which is sorry dr strange of or how i learned to stop wearing and love the bomb yeah (laughs) so from one to five stars one being the lowest five being the highest 
Uh, what would you give it? I give this movie five stars. I mean, this is, I feel like this movie is a classic. Yeah, I, you know what? I can forgive the crappy special effects. Um, <laughs> uh, but I mean, like, it was limited by its time. Uh, and also, uh, I think it opens with the funniest sight gags um, I have seen to open a movie. It's basically airplane sex. You're just watching airplanes get laid. Pretty throughout. much. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, what What possessed Stanley Kubrick to be like, you know what? Sex in the air. That's what I want to see. Yeah, he, uh, he definitely had a vision for that. And uh, to, to your point in regards to the special effects, it's mind boggling that this came out in 1964 and you can see how dated those effects are. But for 1964, I have to say that those were probably pretty, pretty good at the time. But just four short years, four short years later, we have 2001, A Space Odyssey. Oh, my God. Yeah. Because that I came mean, out in 1968. Yeah. It's just like, what? It's either a technological jump or somebody just said, here's here's a, a truck of money. Just do whatever you want to do, you know, hire whoever you want to hire. <laughs> God damn. Yeah, that. Uh, wow. It's it's. Uh, wait, wait, wait. When was Strange Love made? 1964. 1964. And then uh, a spa- uh, 2001 was 1968. 1968. Four years in between. And he's just like, you know what? I'm going to, uh, you know, I don't uh, I-, I wonder if he was he looked at the special effects in Strange Love and he's like, you know what? I'm going to ba- make one of the best special effects movies anyone's ever seen. Uh that that is amazing. Four year difference between Strange Love. Wow, that's amazing. That's God. Nuts. I love I love fucking Kubrick, man. I love Kubrick. I mean, I know he was a fucking asshole in real life, but damn, that is fucking awesome. How's he an asshole in real life? What have you heard about him? Well, I mean, like you know, I I heard what he did to Shelley Duvall on the set of The Shining. Did you have you ever heard oh. about that? I, I think I've heard murmurs of that. Yeah, he, I think he, like, he really pushed her to the breaking point. I mean, he did like 128 takes of like that scene on the staircase. Oh shit! Um, to the point where like she had she was starting to suffer like mental breakdowns on set. I mean, uh, the God dude he damn. was he yeah he was not a nice guy, but uh, you know he was crazy. And, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I'd rather look at his works than the person that he is in this case and judge him as a person, you know, separately. But, yeah, Mm. that's it's. um, Yeah. I mean, what can you say? He's an asshole. (laughs) It seems like that happens. I mean, as somebody who's from uh, the performing arts world, um, it seems like those two go hand in hand a lot. Uh, not all the time. Don't get me wrong. I've met some some really brilliant people who weren't abusive in that way, at least outwardly. Um, and I've met uh, crazy people who were not brilliant, you know. So, but for some reason, in in the arts, uh, 
it tends to attract people who have both. Um, I think because uh, unlike, let's say, the corporate world, um, the arts allow you to push at the boundaries in certain ways uh, that other professions just don't allow, you know, because they have they have protocols, they have, um, I don't know, just a different work culture. Um, I'm glad that's changed somewhat, still has plenty to go, especially given the Me Too movement that we've seen uh, over the last few years. Uh, there's still a lot to fix in Hollywood, but um, I think with the rise of unions and uh, actors having representatives and very strict co- uh, contracts that <laughs> that say, hey, you can't, you cannot abuse the talent like that. You cannot do this, that, and the other just because, you know, you're considered brilliant, you know, so. Yeah, that's just uh, the um, bad behavior is definitely reprimanded and you can't get away with it anymore, uh, which mm. is something great, you know. And yeah. to, to my mind, that brings about like uh, that whole that whole thing with Ezra Miller um, in Iceland. Woo! Uh, what do you think? <laughs> holy. Did you see that video? Shit, man. What like, the I, fuck? I knew we were going to talk about this tonight, right? Yeah. So I thought you were refer- when when we were talking about the format of the show tonight. I thought you were referencing the fact that, you know, uh, the Flash movie um, of which uh, Ezra Miller has been. Uh, the the holder of that role in the uh, in the DCEU, um, I thought it was like in trouble because I mean DC has been having hits and misses in regards to their cinematic universe, so we're not quite sure exactly what's going to stay greenlit or what's going to get shelved. You know they they're playing it fast and loose in certain ways. Um, so I thought it was that. Then as soon as I googled his name. <laughs> there was nothing about the Flash movie. No, 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 it was no. Just like Ezra Miller chokes a woman in Iceland. I was just like, what? This this sound this sounds like DLC for a game or something. Like what? What do you mean? Like he <laughs> chokes a. Wo- anyway, I had to search the, for the video, and when I finally saw it, it was uncomfortable to put it lightly. I like I don't I I don't you know uh, it it made me think about like how celebrity once you become a celebrity you start loving the smell of your own farts to the <laughs> point where like uh the outside world does like stops the outside world, like regular people, stop being real to you and start becoming something that you know you occasionally have to interact with and and uh, occasionally have to be annoyed by. Like you're no longer you're, you're operating by the rules within the confines of your own world, like your own mind, and your own mind is full of shit. So um, and that's how I feel like uh, Ezra Miller. Um, reacted because I feel like he uh, he was just annoyed by someone who was just kind of just playing with him, and he mm. was like, "Ugh, I hate putting up with this." You know, I hate I hate putting up with this with the little people. Mm-hmm. And he fucking mm-hmm. choked this lady and like threw her down on the ground, and I'm just like, yeah. "Come on, man!" 
Yeah, like, that what was a fucking asshole. That was uh, extremely weird. And also, I mean, like he was clearly this is not an excuse, by the way, but he was clearly very drunk uh, in this video. And uh, I firmly believe that um, being inebriated doesn't skew who you are. It kind of reveals who you are. It, it sort of brings down the barriers a little bit um, or a lot, depending on how much you drink. And just to have this uh, just to just to have this level of entitlement where you feel like you could even even if if this is what was going on in his mind. He thought he was playing with this woman. He thought that it was like a joke to grab a stranger, a woman on top of that <laughs> by the throat and take her down to the ground. Like, I, I, I don't know what oh, that, that says about, you know, your your, your thoughts about putting a, a, your hands on another person. Yeah, I, I, I don't I don't know what. um yeah, I I just don't know. I um, I think that that's kind of uh, a dude like it's just a douchebag thing to do, and uh, you know I I really hope that uh, that he thinks long and hard about this as his career kind of crumbles into uh, nothing. <laughs> I think he deserves a well earned. He, like, he he's so he's so um he has a certain amount of uh, celebrity and popularity um he has a fan base that's very enamored with him um i feel like he has depending on the people he has around him his agent he might have the level of maneuverability in hollywood where he might be able to ride past this this may not crumble his career um but on the flip side <laughs> i heard that he had some very big demands in regards to uh how he wanted the flash movie to be written so much so that he took over primary writing responsibilities himself at one point okay um, and i'm like dude you i don't i could be wrong but I don't think he's on that level where he could say, hey, you know, let me take over the script and fix this. I mean, even Edward Norton did that with The Incredible Hulk, and it didn't work out too well for him. No, it, but he did it. The, the thing with Edward Norton is that he he actually did take over screenwriting duties. And, you know, um, and he he basically helped get that movie made the way he wanted it to. But uh, but it was it was just a flop. I mean, it, that's weird to say because I'm pretty sure that movie, The Incredible Hulk, made its money back, but it's still considered a critical failure. It's one of those movies that like flops, but doesn't really flop, you know, in Hollywood. I think it made its money back, kind of. Well, the, I think I think in, in comparison to Iron Man, which had come out shortly before it. Um, they they were expecting this to do just as well, especially since it was the beginning of the connected universe. And when it didn't do as well, uh, that's why they categorized it as a flop. I mean, I enjoyed the movie. Um, I thought it had a lot of elements that 
really lent itself well to telling a Hulk story, you know, especially in comparison to the prior Hulk movie that came out uh, several years back where he was just like a green, doughy, CGI uh, marshmallow, you know? I mean, as much as people doubt, like, uh, shit on um, that first uh, CGI Hulk movie, I loved it. Um, I'm one of those few people who will defend that first Hulk movie to the, like, I understand the CGI is definitely of its time, but Mm -hmm. the edit, the way that movie is edited, I wish a Spider-Man movie was edited that same way in the way that it it feels like it's a comic book. Um, but, uh, I, I understand people's, uh, reticence to like accept that movie because it's, it's so overwhelmingly sad. Like it takes, it's very, it has a very dour tone for its fun editing style. Um, <laughs> but I haven't seen a, a, a superhero movie that adventurous art artistically mm-hmm. since that movie came out. Like I don't, uh, the only movie that has ever taken a giant leap forward like that was Scott Pilgrim. Uh, and that wasn't uh, even really a superhero movie. That was just a comic book movie. Um, but it's it's just artistic, you know? It has a style to it. As opposed to, like, the Marvel movies, which I love because of its storytelling. But filmmaking-wise, I'm just like, they're all kind of ugly looking. Um, oh, you, except, mean, you, you ex- mean you weren't a fan of all the Dutch angles in Thor? <laughs> <laughs> or the fact that like or the fact that as much as I love the the fighting the 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 battle scenes in Endgame it all just turns into kind of a brown mess you know it's like <laughs> it's just like a it's just a blob of like you know there's no there's no like I I really wish that Marvel had turned a corner in terms of adding color like colors that pop you know, instead, it's taken this kind of ugly, kind of flat look with all of its mm. movies, except for the Guardians of the Galaxy movies. Um, but I mean, I don't know. That's cosmic Marvel, you know. Mm. Right. So, right. Huh, that's a that's really interesting. I'm wondering because hmm. I'm thinking I'm trying to remember when we saw it in the theater. I mean, you know, we like we. Went to our favorite, uh, our favorite place, Alamo Draft House. Shout out to Alamo. We hope you'll open again. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, th- I remember. Yes the the final battles were quite uh, dark and brown. I thought it was trying to lend itself to. I don't know the severity of the situation with the Avengers uh, stronghold being bombed out of existence and everything like that. But, <laughs> you know, perhaps there would have been room for a little more color during uh, some of those scenes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Perhaps. Perhaps. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, uh, when you're making a movie of that scale. Um, now, now we're man, we're, we're de- we devolved a- uh, away from black and white and talking now about stark color, you know? Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, like if you're making a movie, a comic book movie of that color, I've, I've always felt that if you're going to make a battle scene, it has to look like the battle scenes or it doesn't have to, but it sh- it should kind of mimic comic books and comic book splash pages, you know, it's splash pages are, are big and, and, you know, colorful and, you know, it's, Mm. it's, uh, it's kind of a visual feast for the eyes. Whereas, you know, 
um, uh, I feel Marvel movies, they're all kind of, because they they all kind of follow the same kind of manufactured aesthetic to them, they uh, they just look blah, you know? I would have loved you- it in Civil War if... Um, if uh, it, when the two factions of superheroes fight each other, that there it actually looks not gray and overcast mm. and kind of like flat, it would have like mm. I think it would have been it would have added an additional punch to that whole scene. But you know, such is the case with uh, superhero with Marvel movies in particular. Do you feel? Uh, do you feel that the? Um the final fight in Endgame could have been rendered in the same fashion as the final fight in Age of Ultron. Because that was pretty colorful and poppy. Uh, Was it? I remember it kind of being just uh, like lots of grays. Like the thing about it is that I'm tired of, um, and I I feel like this is the subject of countless YouTube uh, analysis analyses of uh of marvel movies it's always like this big gray villain um coming after you know yeah it's just a blob of gray Mm -hmm. it to me that's what it looked like uh it looked like um uh you know the avengers fighting a sea of gray people you know and it's that to me that's not visually appealing if they had gone with like a very chrome look Mm -hmm. Uh, as opposed to like the kind of a brushed metal gray flat gray look, I think it would have been it would have benefited. But you know, that's such is life, right? Mm. No, that's true. That's true. I mean, there there are always different choices that they could make in regards to uh, animating action scenes. Let's uh, let's all just be thankful that Hollywood has n- has not fully <laughs> subscribed to the early transformers um uh recipe of animating fight scenes oh where it's just God. <laughs> broken metal and glass and shaky cam all combined <laughs> dude uh yeah i mean i let's hope i mean uh, this is uh, the way marvel drops the ball with regards to just um the 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 lack of color and visual panache in its movies i was hoping that you know other independent movies like, um, you know, Dark Horse movies or like, uh, you know, now we're seeing um, Valiant throw its hat into the ring uh, with <laughs> with Bloodshot. <laughs> have you have you seen that? Bloodshot? No, yeah. but I think I was wondering if... Um, if we should watch that over as our next movie to judge, uh, because uh, from what I, mean, I have seen of the trailers in that of that movie and what I've heard, I mean, I, I have to see this, right? I mean, <laughs> this sounds like primetime Vin Diesel here. Um, before we sign off, however, there are there is. Uh, a shout out that I'd like to um, that I'd like to uh, throw out there um, to two to uh, two well deserving listeners of the show. Um, I'd like to throw a shout out to uh, uh, Tommy Lumberdozy and the Hoof Podcast um, for showing us a lot of love, and I also yes, want to yes. yeah, 
take the uh, give a listen to those guys that are up on iTunes and wherever uh, fine podcasts are consumed. Uh, and uh, also uh, a shout out to the Run Along podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, those guys are always harding our posts up on IG. Uh, yes. Thank you guys um, uh, for liking our content. Uh, I've heard a, a, like a few, more than a few of your shows, and I like your content as well. Um, so much respect from both of us. Uh, we heart you guys big time. Woohoo! In ways you can imagine. Okay. All right. All right. Anyway, made, um, made it weird. <laughs> <laughs> I had to. I had to. Um, because they know me. They know me at this point, right? <laughs> Um, so from both of us here, uh, I am Pablo Morale Martinez. And I'm Ernesto Mancibo. And together we are Robots versus Taxes. On Radio Free Brooklyn. And uh, while you're out there, you could try keeping it real. But you should try keeping it right. Song of the Week. Song of the Week.